It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Exactly how important is it that we watch our personal pronouns? We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, we learn from branding expert Bruce Turkel why when it comes to our brand, it isn't about us. It's actually all about them. That also happens to be the name of his terrific new book. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. As much as we might know better, it's just so easy to go into I mode or me mode, isn't it? When presenting to a prospective customer, we know we should be discovering their wants, needs, and desires before ever bringing up our solution via our product or service, or why we are the ones who they should retain to do so. We know this. I know this. Yet, I often catch myself talking in terms of my experience and my services, and much too early in the process. When writing a sales letter, we know we need to make it not about ourselves or even about our product, but about the value our prospective customer will derive from whatever we are asking them to do. We know this. I know this. Yet, whenever going through the first draft of a sales letter I've written, it's filled with things about me and the product. My business partner, Kathy Tajanel, and I often have a laugh about this, and we rewrite the letter line by line, substituting something about the reader for everything about me or the product we're discussing. In John David Mann's in my book, The Go-Giver Leader, there's a scene where Ben, the protagonist, responds to his soon-to-be-new mentor, the enigmatic Aunt L, regarding his attempt to influence one of the leaders whose company he wants to acquire on behalf of the company he, Ben, works for. Ben explained to Aunt L, I don't know. No, I'm sure I didn't convince him. Not yet. But I think I can. The way I see it, what I'm offering him is exactly what the company needs to pull out of their slump. I really believe this is the right move for them. I can see it. I can taste it. I can smell it. No doubt in my mind. And if I can just convince him to listen to me, I'm positive we can turn this thing around. To this, Aunt L asked, do you know roughly how many personal pronouns you just used? I'm sorry, responded Ben. You know what a personal pronoun is, she answered. He, she, you, me, us, them. Well, to edit the dialogue a bit, the answer was 15. In that short explanation, Ben had said I, me, and my 15 times. Do you ever find yourself doing that? I know that I do. And whenever we do, we become a bit less of an effective influencer. Because if influence is about moving someone to a desired thought, idea, or action, the only way that's going to happen is when they understand the benefit to them in doing so. And that rarely happens when we use too many personal pronouns. Are you a successful entrepreneur or sales professional, but you know you have the potential for even greater sales success? Reality is, most entrepreneurs, small business owners, and corporate salespeople aren't nearly as successful at selling as they could be. Fortunately, it need not be that way for you. 
Join me, along with my brilliant business partner and strategist, Kathy Tejanel, for two days in Orlando, Florida, and attend our Go-Giver Sales Academy. Go-Giver Sales Academy will help you communicate more value to your customers, reach more people with your exceptional value, sell at full price, become objection-proof, and embrace the abundance that's your birthright. You'll work personally with Kathy and me in a small, mastermind-like environment. These workshops are limited to only 12 people, so it'll be impactful and transformational. Learn more at GoGiverSalesAcademy.com and see what others are saying. Click the link in the show notes. Remember, money is an echo of value. People often ask, what is branding about? But as we learn from today's guest, the better question is actually, who is branding about? Bruce Turkel is founder and CEO of Turkel Brands and is responsible for building some of today's most successful brands. He works with clients around the world, ranging from 154-year-old Bacardi to the city of Miami to help them make their products more valuable in the eyes of their beholders. And of course, to stand out from the crowd in today's very crowded marketplace and in a very desirable way. As a branding authority, Bruce is often the man the networks, including Fox Business, CBS, CNN, and numerous other media outlets bring on for his opinion and diagnoses when a major brand does something that makes big news, whether positively or, as might be expected, often negatively. He often provides what he calls brand aid. His interviews are fascinating, and it's no wonder he's in demand as a conference speaker as well as media expert and, of course, with his corporate clients. His weekly blog is also hugely popular and, in my opinion, not to be missed by anyone in business. You can subscribe to that blog at turkeltalks.com. He's authored four books, his latest and exquisite work entitled All About Them, Grow Your Business by Focusing on Others. Pick it up at your favorite bookseller or at BruceTurkel.com. All of this, of course, featured in the show notes. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you very much, Bob. I got to tell you, I love listening to introductions. I'm all, often sorry that when people make those nice introductions, my wife is not actually listening. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I wrote notes from your introduction. <laughs> it's not what is the brand about, it's who is the brand about. That's brilliant. Uh, I wish oh, I oh yeah. Well, tell Gloria we, uh, we just love her husband and uh, looking forward to learning from him. I will indeed. <laughs> hey, Bruce, the title of your book itself, All About Them, is counterintuitive in that the natural question would be, but isn't my brand about me or my business? But I guess it isn't, is it? No, it no longer is. It used to be. It used, used to be. be. It yeah. used to be. If you wanted to build your brand and ultimately build your business, you talked about yourself. Mm -hmm. Here's what we have. Here's what we do. Yeah, right. Here's why we're better. Here's why it matters. Because if you didn't do it, who would, right? Nobody else could get that information because nobody else would share it. Those days are past. Today, when someone calls you up to do business with you, if they're serious, they have already looked at your website, looked online, mm -hmm. maybe looked at on Yelp to see reviews that other, what others have said about you. They have access to more information than you even could have shared with them mm. before. The paradigm has shifted. It's completely counterintuitive because the world changed while we were all sleeping and we continue to do things the way we used to do them, but that doesn't work anymore. So does that now change the definition of branding or just the way we go about it? No, I don't think it changes the definition at all. The brand, branding, of course, is not the name, the logo, the tagline, even the ad. 
That's what most people say it is. But lots of great professionals have talked about the fact that branding is a promise fulfilled. Branding is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. Branding is what, as I like to say, reinforces what you do, but it also pre-enforces what you do. Mm. Meaning, you provide the product or you provide the service. The brand then tells people, yes, you got something good, you got your money's worth, but it also tells your customer before they buy from you. You're going to get something good from this company. Now, one of the, the major points you make, a very memorable point, and I just love this, is that a good brand makes people feel good. A great brand makes people feel good about themselves. Now, I want to uh, give one example, maybe, uh, for you to touch on. Early in the book, you discussed a term that was coined by Robert Samuelson, Prius politics. What is that? And what does that mean about the mind of a consumer and their feeling good about themselves? It, it was such a great example. Uh, what I talk about in the book, what was so clear to me when it was happening is that when Prius, when Toyota rather, introduced their hybrid vehicle, the Prius, it was not the only hybrid out there. Honda also introduced a hybrid vehicle. They had the uh, Honda Civic Hybrid. There was very little difference technologically. And even if there was differences, I think it's safe to say that except for the couple mechanics who listen to your show, few of us are actually qualified to decide or to understand which hybrid technology was better, less expensive, less polluting, smaller carbon footprint, more efficient, more effective. We don't really know. We count on the companies to provide that for us. However, the cars were very different. Honda took their very, very, very popular small car, the Honda Civic. They changed the whole drivetrain. And then above the word Civic, they put the letters H-Y-B-R-I-D, six letters, hybrid. That was their entry into the market. You take a very popular vehicle, you add something that a lot of people want by all preconceived notions. It should have been incredibly successful. Toyota did something very different, didn't they? They created the Prius hybrid. No one had seen anything like it before. And no one had seen a car that looked like a little wedge-shaped doorstop before. Here's what happened. The Prius by far outsold the Honda. It, the facts and the numbers are in the book. I won't bore anyone with them here. But by far sold it out, but not because of technology. I believe it was because of the way the brand made the consumer feel. If you drove the Honda Civic Hybrid, you said to the world, who couldn't see that little hybrid sign on the back, I'm driving a cheap car. But if you drove the Toyota Prius, you said, I am driving an environmentally sensitive car. Mm -hmm. I'm a better person I feel better about myself mm -hmm. because I drive this vehicle. Prius politics then was the term used for people who told the world who they were politically and community-wide based on what they were driving. You have a whole description in your mind of what a person is who drives that car. It had nothing to do with the technology. It had all to do with the impression the car gave first on its driver and then on the world that saw the driver in the car. A good brand makes you feel good, but a great brand makes you feel good about yourself. Oh, there's, uh, that's such a great example. And it, it, it kind of can get us thinking, and it's a good idea for all of us listening to, to what you're saying, just to think, what are some of the other brands out there that make you feel good about yourself? When you think of them, you feel good about yourself. And I guess it will be different for different people, depending upon what we, what we relate to. Exactly right. But we know what a lot of them are. Right. If you think about your daily life and the mm -hmm. logos, the, uh, the brand names, the designs that you, I don't want to use show off in a pejorative term, but you show to tell the world 
who we are. The, the line is that the four earlier generations were known for the wars they fought. Our generation is known for the things we bought. Mm, oh, we tell yeah. the world who we are by the different things that we own and that we display. Yes. Now, I'm thinking right now some of your television interviews, and, and Bruce, you're on Fox Business with uh, Melissa Francis, who's wonderful. I was on who's, yesterday. Who's wonderful. Yes, you were, and I saw that interview. And you can check out Bruce's interviews uh, by, just get on Bruce's list, and, and you get a, a, a weekly um, email at when he's on one of these interviews. And they're just great information. And I love how the two of you play off of each other, by the Thank way. Thank you. It's so fantastic. So I've watched where you have really, in the relatively brief time they give you, you've dissected some very, very counterproductive things that company executives have done. Totally did not make it about their customers. And that got them into even more trouble. Now, I, uh, we just talked about a car brand. And, and so I apologize for doing this again, but I'm thinking Volkswagen was one. I'm sure you can come up with a couple of them. What did they do wrong? in terms of disappointing the public? And then what did they do more wrong? Well, that's a great question because that's what happens. Just like they say in politics, you don't get punished for the crime, you get punished for the cover-up. Ah, really, right. <laughs> you can think back about so many different mm -hmm, examples mm -hmm. and that's what happens. In Volkswagen's case, for example, with the diesel engines, people thought they were driving these diesel cars that got better gas mileage that were less polluting on and on and on. It turned out that Volkswagen had lied about it that in fact that's not what happened. They had come up with some technology to override the testing protocols. And so what they did wrong was they cheated. They didn't sell us what they told us they were selling. What they did more wrong was that they violated their authentic truth because uh, uh. the authentic truth of Volkswagen is what? It goes all the way back to the Beetle. It was a small, happy, friendly little car. It was environmentally, economically, prudent, it was quiet, it was little, it was safe, it was fun, quiet, I mean image-wise, not motor-wise, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. right. um, so the people driving them expected this friendly, comfortable, happy relationship with the brand. They didn't get it, the brand lied to them. Worse, because they were selling these smart diesels specifically to people who wanted to be good to the earth, people who environment mattered to them, those people were more chagrined by being lied mm -hmm. to. Because if it was a typical consumer who only bought the car because it was a good deal or because I don't know why they want the diesel, then they would have been annoyed that they didn't get what they paid for, but they would not have been personally offended. But right. Volkswagen violated their own authentic truth and they violated their consumer's authentic truth. And then of course they covered it up. They said they didn't do it. And once they said they did it, they didn't come out and say we did it worldwide. They said we just did it in the United States, which was stupid because yeah. then they were just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. Then it turned out they did it in Germany. Then it turned out they did it in Asia. And each time that happened, the whole case was dragged through the court of public opinion over and over and over again. And we see that all the time. Well, so how does a company like that, and, and not necessarily Volkswagen, but any of the companies who've, who've done that, a number of them come to mind. I mean, how do they... Can they get back into the good graces of, of those who, who it's about? Sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. I mean, consumers do have short memories and consumers are willing to forgive and forget. There are, though, some critical things you have to do. Number one, you have to come clean. And you might as well do it once. If you know there's more skeletons in the closet, you might as well bring them out at one time. It's going to be unpleasant no matter when you do it. But why do you mm -hmm. want to do it more than once? If you're going to come out and admit, we did this wrong, say, by the way, we did these three things wrong. 
At some point, by the way, there's no more or less. I mean, think about the BP oil spill. I don't remember how many billions of gallons of fuel they dumped into the ocean, but if they dumped 100 million gallons or a billion gallons or 1,000 billion, does that mean anything different to anybody? We have no way of discerning the difference. All we know is it's a whole lot. So you're much better off coming out and telling the truth right from the get-go, just especially in today's transparent day and age where every bit of information is available to everybody. So you're much better off coming clean immediately. Number two, you sincerely apologize. Remember, you don't get in trouble for the crime. You get in trouble for the cover-up. And the longer you cover it up, the worse it gets. So here's what we did. We are truly, sincerely and documentably sorry about what we did, which leads directly into point three. How do you prove it's sincere? You tell the aggrieved what you're going to do about it. You make it very clear that we did wrong, we are sorry, and we are going to do X, Y, Z to fix the problem. And then most importantly, you walk the walk. Mm -hmm. If you say you're going to do it, you better do it. You might recall that Carnival Cruise Lines had a ship that got grounded. Not that big of a deal. Nobody was in any danger. It happens. We're perfectly willing to let it happen, right? But in this age of transparency, at the same time that the ship was grounded and you were seeing people on the top of the ship complaining that they didn't have bathrooms, they didn't have this or that, somebody tweeted a picture of the chairman of the company sitting in the front row at a Miami Heat game. Right. If you're going to come clean, then come clean. If you say, well, you're sincerely sorry, then that guy should have gotten on a helicopter, flew to the ship, and slept on the deck with the passengers. Mm -hmm. Could he have fixed the problem by doing that? No. He's not an engineer. He's not a captain. He's not a pilot. We don't expect him to fix it. We want to know that we were heard. We Mm want to know that they get it. We don't want to think Nero is fiddling while Rome is burning. Right. And, and, you know, lest anyone think this is just for these multinational, uh, you know, big, big companies, uh, Joe's Diner could do the same thing. They would handle something the same way, wouldn't they, basically? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, listen, your business is as big as your circle of customers and the people they talk to. So if you do something wrong in your small business, you come clean, you apologize, you fix the problem in a demonstrable way. You make good on it. You know, there's so much I want to get to because this book is so fantastic. So I'm going to skip some things here because I want to get to something that I think we can all relate to. It's where you talk about your authentic truth and you, in chapter seven, you got into some one and two word descriptions of companies and people from recent history, including Volvo, FedEx, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, General Electric. Again, has to do with our authentic truth. Now, is this an exercise you ask us to do about how we describe our authentic truth or how others describe our authentic truth. You also wrote a great article about that once where you were surprised. Yeah, I would suggest that what you find want to find out is how others see it. And if, in fact, you believe that your authentic truth is congruent with uh, what others think. Remember, all about them. It's the consumer's mm-hmm. viewpoint of who you are and what you are. But to do it right, it really should be congruent and based on who you are deep down inside. And here's why. I think it would be difficult to argue these days that there, whatever business you're in, everybody on the other side of the uh, speaker today, whatever business you're in, you would have a hard time convincing me that there's not other people who do the same thing. Do they do it as well as you do it? Of course not. But they do do it because of globalization, because of computerization, because of generification. 
there are so many people out there doing the same thing. Now, as we talked about earlier, your consumer is probably not qualified to know how well you do your job. If you're a physician, your consumers don't tend to be physicians. If you're a lawyer, your consumers aren't lawyers. If you're a baker, your consumers aren't bakers. They just know if you did a good job for them and if they like it or not. But they don't know if you were really good or not. They really have no way of knowing. So if there's other people who do what you do and your customer doesn't know that you're any better anyways, where do you find a sense of differentiation? How do you stand out? How do you get people to spend money with you? And that's where your authentic truth comes into play because no one else can be you. Oscar Wilde said it 140 years ago, better than I ever could. He said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Mm, yep. Love that. I want to end with a, a quote from the book. He said, soup companies really don't sell soup. They sell love. Uh, in a sense, I guess that's what being all about them is, is really about. It's their end experience, correct? It is. Think about that soup we just talked about. It's a can with stuff in it that you put in the microwave. If you really wanted to make something for your family that was meaningful, you would grow the vegetables yourself. <laughs> you, would, you would harvest them. You would cook them, right? But yeah. none of us can do that. And if we do, it's either because we're extremely affluent or we do it as a hobby. So set, putting that food on the table is an act of love. It's saying to your family, look what I've done for you. You matter to me so much that I want to make sure that you're nutritious, uh, that your meals are nutritious. Otherwise, you can't say, hey, there's some water, there's some tomato extract, there's right. some salt, and there's some preservatives. That's not a really easy thing to sell, but love, something everybody wants. Boy, so many amazing lessons in this book. And it will help those who are already uh, great practitioners in terms of advertising and marketing and branding. And it will help the people like uh, like the listener and, and like me, uh, who really can just get so much good out of these ideas. I just find myself, not only when reading the book, but when watching you on TV, these ideas, oh my gosh, of course, of course, but I never would have thought of it. Bruce Turkel is author of All About Them, Grow Your Business by Focusing on Others. You can order it at your favorite bookstore or at his website, bruceturkel.com. He has a number of other excellent books there too. Also be sure and subscribe to his weekly blog. You're going to love it. Always a great read, but get that book. Uh, and of course, all of this will be in the show notes. Bruce Turkel, thank you so much. Best wishes for continued success. Appreciate it. And I'm honored you invited me on. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. The big lesson I learned from Bruce is that big business or small, we need to know that ultimately our brand is never about us. It's always about them or how they, those who make up our potential customers, see us, how they define us. And remember, while a good brand makes people feel good, a great brand makes people feel good about themselves. How do you do in that regard? Is your brand focus in the right place? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know. We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, The Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the new expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Manns and my newest book, The Go-Giver Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com 
slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review. And your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.